0: The Giants began the season 0-2, while the Saints were 0-3. Both have only lost once since. This Sunday, they go head-to-head at the Superdome.
1: Touchdown!
0: Coverage begins at noon Eastern on ESPN Radio. You cannot lose games in the NFL
1: and still win. One day I understand. One day, go see the baby be born and come back. You're a major league baseball player. Did I not tell you? Yes, you did. Oh, see, don't answer. I, this are, these are rhetorical questions, because you know I told you, and you know I'm not. Analytics don't, don't, work don't work at work all. It's it just a crap to some nothing. people who were really smart, made up to try to get in the game, because they had no talent. This kid is a gamer. He's a follower. He's a playmaker. And a shot
2: In case you didn't know, I got keyboard. He shattered the mold. And all he does is win.
1: All he does is win.
0: Hello and welcome to Hot Takedown, 538's podcast about the week in sports narratives. I'm Chadwick Matlin, editor of 538. This week I'm without Neil Payne and Kate Fagan, who are on vacation or flying to LA. So it's a special episode. <laughs> that is the scoff, the gentle laugh. It's
2: not a scoff. I feel bad for the people who downloaded this podcast, expecting Kate <laughs> and Neil.
0: It's Nate Silver, everybody. Hi hey, Nate. Chad. Nate is editor-in-chief of 538, of course. We're going to talk about NFL ELO. We're going to do sig Dig at the end of the show. We're going to talk about concussions and what secret formulas you have cooking up. They're Nate. not secret. It's relatively transparent. They're secret until this podcast, Nate. Okay. It's a big reveal. Okay. Uh, but first, one bit of housekeeping on our Madden challenge. Uh, for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking to listeners about playing as Walt Hickey, one of our writers in Madden. Walt went down to EA Sports and uh, became a character in Madden. They they measured his throwing accuracy, his his power rating, his speed, all of those other things. Some listeners have been trying to win the Super Bowl with Walt. And some listeners have won the Super Bowl with Walt, two of them. Uh, we're going to talk about that more when Neil and Kate are back. Uh, Nate, have you played with Walt in Madden?
2: I have not. When I play sports video games, I kind of do the opposite, which is that, you know the guy who traded a paperclip and eventually got, like, a Uh house. Uh I take advantage of bad trade AI until I, like, wind (laughs) up with, like, the American League All-Star team, basically, or something. So, and the team's very good. So, yeah, I, you know, I want the ostensible challenge of winning the championship, but I...
0: Use my ingenuity to. And make you want it easier. to just start with the Patriots. You want to work your way towards having Tom Brady somehow. Yeah, being
2: a Detroit sports fan, you start out with a fairly low baseline, usually in most sports. But but you know, with clever trading, you can you can improve.
0: Okay, um, and so yeah, stay tuned, listeners, to hear about all the details about how people somehow won the Super Bowl with Walt Hickey's. You can't even call it a sidearm throw. It was more sort of a side noodle throw, uh, in in action. Okay, let's transition to concussion watch, where we check in on the people behind the concussion stats that we always hear about. This is a season-long effort of Hot Takedown, where we'll we'll tell you how many people were concussed in that week of NFL play. And uh, two people, by my count, using ESPN's injury watch, suffered confirmed concussions this week. And one extra player uh, was added to our Week 1 tally. So the extra player that was added was Eugene Monroe an offensive tackle uh, for the Ravens, and the two who were concussed this week as well uh, were Dominique rodgers Cromarty for the Giants and Vontae Davis on a Monday night game for the Colts. That's two concussions in Week 2, seven in Week 1, nine total. Nate, I want to talk to you a bit about concussions because there was a new study that came out uh, from Boston University, and the Department of Veterans Affairs, and it looked at the brains of deceased football players. Uh, and it found that 96% the NFL players that they did autopsies of had CTE, uh, which is the what we think develops when pe- people suffer repeated hits to the head. It's a big number, but it's a self-selected sample. Yeah. These are people who volunteered to have their brains looked at after who, they died.
2: Who volunteered and, I think, suspected that they might have some type of chronic brain injury. Um, I don't know. So, to me, this study uh, wouldn't, Alter your priors that much. On the other hand, my prior is not the NFL's prior, where they're like, "Oh, just ring his bell a few times." I mean, you know, it seems clear that the weight of medical evidence points toward this being a, a serious problem. I think the jury is somewhat out on is this a catastrophic problem that affects half the people who play in the NFL? Um, does it affect fifteen percent? I, I don't think we know. Um, I don't think the NFL has been very helpful or will be helpful in trying to set up good uh, protocols for scientific studies. So you rely on on self-selected samples as a result. But, you know, I'm not sure this study tells us all that much.
0: So so this is a question I had then. Is it only it's a it's a big number. And at what point is a big number in a skewed sample? Maybe skewed isn't the right word, but a sample that is somehow not, you know, uh, statistically ideal. Does it. Tell us any. It, you're saying it, it, it would tell you something if you didn't think the NFL had a concussion problem.
2: So, yeah, if you said, "Oh, there's no," I mean, clearly, if you have, uh, you know, eighty five, what was it, eighty five out of eighty eight, or something, or eighty eight uh, out of ninety one, yeah, okay, um, you know, if it were some very rare form of cancer, well, actually, I'm kind of making the wrong point. Yeah, I mean, you would assume it's higher than the incidence in the general population. That even if it were somehow only those eighty seven. Um, And how many ex-NFL players are there? Probably 10,000 or 20,000. I would assume that rate's a lot higher than in the general population. I don't know, right? Um, So that kind of sets a floor. But without knowing, without having some type of random sample, uh, it's hard to make too many generalizations.
0: And the trick is that they can't screen as of now with people who are still living for CT, reliably at least. And so we're stuck in this place where the NFL will be able... or, Or where where some uh, other side of the argument will always be able to say, well, it's a self-selected sample, we're not sure, um, but there's mounting evidence that there's probably something going on. But really, this is about scale. Um, and it's it's hard, as you said, to, to get a sense for whether it's catastrophic or not.
2: One thing you can look at is you can look at when NFL players die. Um, you know, there have been some studies around that. I think the answer is that... Uh, They don't have particularly short lifespans relative to the male population average, um, but they do relative to people who make as much money as football players can make early in their careers, who are obviously, by definition, at least in their 20s and 30s, very athletic and healthy. Uh, So that's one kind of brute force approach is look at death records and come to inferences from from those potentially
0: and as you look at this issue which has been boiling now for for years it seems do you think that we've passed the point where statistics are going to do something to change it that now it's about for those who want to change want to change the nfl let's say that statistics have done what they can do and now it's about you know some major event that would have to happen on the field um some some anecdote almost that supersedes the the, the larger statistics
2: no i look i tend to think this is going to take a long time uh to burn and to really affect things all that profoundly i don't think we've seen um the definitive study if you do get a study somehow that says boy this is top doctors in the world and we took 500 randomly selected nfl players and 220 of them uh had cte right then that would be a huge event, sort of like the smoking and tobacco.
0: The, in- the thing that was on the insider of that movie. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. At the same time, you have to look at the history of how there was lots of uh, there were lots of smaller studies that suggested a strong link between lung cancer and and tobacco, and big tobacco denied them, and it kind of wound up being the worst case scenario. So I'm not denying any of this. I mean, I think to me, the weight of the evidence seems to point toward this being at least a very serious problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think, though, we've seen the one study that's a knockout blow.
0: Right. I guess my question is, are studies the thing that's going to change this? Or instead, is it going to be some type of event that happens on the field? Um, Let's say, you know, Tom Brady is concussed and never comes back to play again or something like that.
2: I'm struck by how big an industry the NFL is. And I'm a football fan. I'm not somebody who comes at this from, you know, some wacky perspective. I like watching the NFL on Sunday, but it is kind of amazing how uh, how some guy gets carted off on the field and has an injury which is often more severe than a concussion, and everyone forms a prayer circle. But then ten or fifteen minutes later, uh, the game resumes, and it's as though nothing really had had changed. Um, the NFL is a very powerful institution, and people are really invested in the league. Lots and lots of people make their income directly or indirectly from the football industry. And so, you know, I don't tend to think that any one incident would change it all that much. But I think there could be gradual pressure. I mean, what if the player pool dries up a little bit? Because certain types of uh, parents say, my kid's not going to play football. That could have an effect, potentially. Um, It could have an effect on the younger audience for the league. There, You know, people will sometimes say, well... Baseball's doing okay for now, but its median viewer is 55 years old or something. Could that happen for for football too? Could soccer eventually be a substitute? So I could be bearish about the state of the NFL 20 or 25 years from now, but I think that's the type of timescale that we're talking about. I don't think it's like, oh, Tom Brady gets concussed, and all of a sudden we're playing flag football instead. Um, I also tend to think that it's a little bit more hard to prove that – The brutality of football is part of what attracts people to it, too. Um, and that you could have a phase 10 or 15 years from now, uh, where you know it's not a cool thing to do if you're like a liberal urbanite to watch football because you think it's too brutal. Um, but red state America still does. There's a little bit of that now, you see a little bit of that with college football, for example, but I could see that, uh, Accentuated, accelerated. And
0: splintering the fan base demographically, yeah. So let's move on to lighter topics. Let's talk about ELO ratings. Elo, Your favorite pet model. I, I don't pet. even know what to call it. So, Millions of people love ELO ratings, Chad. Okay. They write me. When
2: the ELO ratings haven't gone up, they're like, why aren't we getting the ELO
0: ratings? So let's, let's pause no for a moment. Explain on ELO talking. ratings, as we've talked about in this podcast before. Power rankings. That have to do with who beats who historically. Yeah. You move up if you beat, especially a really good team. You move higher up. Um, down if you lose... Nate, who is Elo? Where does Elo come from? So Elo was a a mathematician and
2: chess player. I should know more about his background, I suppose, (laughs) but devised this very simple and elegant way to rate uh, competitions. So chess players, people use them to rate colleges against one another, not in football, but in terms of academics and stuff (laughs) like that. But it works really well for sports where you have head-to-head competition, which is to say most sports.
0: Right. And so, Nate, you have brought a tyranny of ELO onto 538. We have Elo. ELO for basketball. We have ELO for football. We have ELO for tennis players. Uh, what am I forgetting? ELO for hockey? You've done at some point, I believe. We haven't done Hockey would say all
2: the teams are average, and it's pure <laughs> randomness. So I, w- I would want to do a hockey ELO at some point. And baseball
0: ELO, of course, is 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 somewhere out in the distance for us. Yeah. Why ELO as this beautiful system to, to rank power ratings what is so special about it as opposed to something like espn's football power index for example
2: so for one thing it's pretty transparent so we can go and it takes a couple of minutes on our computer on my computer um or now on our server to run elo for the entire history of the nba or the nfl um secondly because the assumptions of it are really clear so it forms a good baseline there are some ratings and i like fpi a lot but there's kind of an uncanny valley, if you've heard that term, between ratings or models, so to speak, that are very simple. Say, here are my assumptions. We know it's not perfect, but this is an efficient way to take account of the information that we have versus kind of kinch and sink models saying, hey, here is something that you would bet on in Las Vegas and it's a little bit dirty maybe, but we know this works and hopefully has a good track record too. And there's kind of an in-between where – it's no longer simple enough to be explainable in a sentence or two. At the same time, it's leaving important things out. And I think of that area is important, right? So we tend to have models that are either really simple kind of toys like ELO or things where we say, you know, we really do want to design a model that's good enough to bet on. That's more like uh, our election models, at least for the general election, I think. Uh, where it's very carefully done. There are a lot of layers, though. The complexity increases. So yeah, I have kind
0: of philosophies about model building, I guess. So the simplicity is an asset here, and so, but the simplicity also means that for someone like the Eagles, for example. So the Eagles had some a lot of turnover in the off season, but ELO doesn't care about players, right? It just cares about record and who you beat and who you lost it uh, lost yeah. to. And so how. It means that we we have to wait a long time to know whether the Eagles' new personnel is as good or, or sorry, is better or worse than, than last year's personnel, right? It takes some time, but the funny thing is, if you look at Elo's preseason
2: rankings, which all it does is it takes last season's year-end Elo um, and regresses to the mean by about a third, those are like ninety-five percent correlated with the Vegas standings. Um, anytime you can do ninety-five percent. As well, by using much, much, much simpler and more transparent assumptions, Mm -hmm. then that's an interesting device, I think, potentially. And it does catch up. I mean, especially in the NBA version where you do have 82 games instead of 16. uh, When Michael Jordan leaves the Bulls, it doesn't know that. But after 10 or 15 games, it figures out the Bulls have to be really really bad
0: right and so it encourages patients almost that that will wait for the the, mo- the model or whatever we want to call it to catch yeah, up and, with and in the
2: NFL you could probably do something with quarterbacks I mean I'm working on a piece uh, that'll file to you later today Chad, about <laughs> about the Saints and when you see a big drop off uh, in a team's ELO rating it often has to do with an aging quarterback or a quarterback controversy or something like that so QBs play an especially important role um, but there's value in simplicity in part because you can say Here's a baseline against which we can evaluate the importance of, of Peyton Manning coming to your team or whatnot or Tom Brady or or anything else.
0: So, Elo has also spit out some some interesting uh, results. Namely, it named uh, a team that never won the Super Bowl as the best team of all time. That I thought team... we were
2: fighting against narratives, Chad. And not
0: Listen, this is what I want to talk to you about, Nate. The yeah. 2007 Patriots, 18-1, they lose to the Giants, the Helmet Catch, Tyree, all that. Yeah. They are the best team of all time, according to Elo. Yeah. But if I'm thinking of the best teams of all time, I'd probably think of someone who won a Super Bowl at some point. Now, what the point about Elo though is it's taking this team that that 2017 within the context of the larger Patriots dynasty, right?
2: Right. So it says it's more credible if you go 16-0 and then win your first two playoff games. So go 18-0 after you've had uh, a number of good years. So it has 2004 Patriots as I think the second best mm-hmm. team. Of all time. Who did did, win a Super Bowl. And they did win a Super Bowl. You know, the Patriots also won uh, 30, or excuse me, they won 16 regular season games, 16-0. No team has ever done that. They won by a very large margin of victory. Their one defeat came by three points. In general, as you have more teams in the league, it becomes more competitive. It's been a while since we had a major expansion in the NFL. Elo considers this a pretty good era. For the NFL,
0: uh, high quality era, lots of yeah. So
2: when you when we had a couple of weeks, I don't know if you talked to Carl and Ben about this, right? But for example, Pete Sampras doesn't fare all that well in men's tennis Elo because Elo says, you know what? It was not really a clear hierarchy of players. It was maybe a mediocre era for for the league, right? Um, that might be true a little bit for like the '72 Dolphins for. Example is you were in the midst of the post AFL merger and uh, you didn't have that many dominant teams. Really, Do the undefeated of, Dolphins you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was kind of a much easier to go uh, to go undefeated when you're not facing a Patriots type or Forty Nine ers type or Steelers or Packers type dynasty. It was a lull in between those, and it is kind of a chicken and egg kind of thing. It's like, well, maybe there wasn't a dynasty because the Dolphins and so forth beat them. But still, Elo has mathy ways, despite its simplicity, to kind of make inferences about that.
0: And so working at five thirty eight and doing Hot Takedown has really challenged like the way that I approach greatness. Because that, that's what a lot well, of stats See, greatness
2: and answers. best mm-hmm. aren't. The same thing. Okay. <laughs> right. You know, which team should be most celebrated? I, I don't know. Probably the team that wins the Super Bowl, right? That's what every NFL player straps a helmet on them wants to accomplish. Um, what this is saying, though, is that if you played uh, any NFL team in history, we're getting weird Ben Morrissey hypotheticals here, uh, that would be the team you'd be least likely to beat, mm. is the 2007 Patriots.
0: And so that's to me what the tension is the way I approach sports is probably thinking i mean i think of the way a lot of people are taught to approach sports and that's partly because of our, our parent company and the way that you know sports center and, and everyone else exalts the, the great teams that win the championships is not about best it's about who wins but what the statistical community within sports is really consumed with is best is bestness, if, the, if that's a word that we can create, is is who is the highest quality? Which team has the most value? And that's a, to to me, it's first, a pretty radical I think, difference.
2: ELO, though, is actually more friendly to conventional wisdom than a lot of hmm. systems, where, it, first of all, it explicitly accounts for postseason play. If you look at the at the year-end mm-hmm. ELO ratings and not the peak one, which is different, then, uh, like, 13 out of the top 14 teams did win the Super Bowl. The Patriots are are the exception. The two of the top three didn't. Oh, well, sorry. Well, oh, different. sorry. For the average. This is games, where, right. in the name of transparency, you have different versions. Right. So if you look at peak ELO, this is interesting. There are five teams in history that achieved a peak ELO of 1,800
0: or higher. And, that, and 1,500 is the average. So that's, that's well above average.
2: Yeah. Only one of them won the Super Bowl. So you have some famous upsets, mm-hmm. the 42 Bears. By the way, one thing I learned doing this is that people always say, well, the kind of Super Bowl era, there's a lot of fascinating NFL history Pre Super Bowl era, mm-hmm. so our interactive you can go back to the Canton Bulldogs and Frankfurt Yellow Jackets <laughs> and Providence Steamroller and stuff <laughs> like that, and see how the franchises evolved. But yeah, the uh, you know the '68 Colts were one of uh, the first teams ever to have an ELA rating above 1800. They lost to Joe Namath, of course. But you know it's a one and done series in the NFL. Uh, it's a little bit better than baseball and hockey because those sports are so random. But one reason why I find the NBA satisfying, is that um, when you're playing seven-game series, it's very rare that you could point to an NBA team and say, you know what, I'm pretty sure they weren't the best team in the league. As much as, so Elo had the Warriors, I guess correctly in hindsight, favored over the Cavs this year. Um, But if you won a seven-game series, then Elo would have said, that's so much information, these teams playing head-to-head, that it would probably have had the Cavs Ahead by the end. Right. The, the NFL a, where you're one and done, it's a little bit different. I mean, clearly I don't think you can say the best team always wins the Super Bowl.
0: And what you're, what you're saying is what's attractive in the, in the NBA is that the, the, the incentives are aligned. The best almost always equals great and great almost always equals Yeah, and I,
2: I like that about the, the NBA where there's so much randomness in other sports. You know, sports like uh, the NBA and, and tennis where you have very little randomness are are interesting in that you kind of are able to test hypotheses a little bit better about about what affects teams there's much much less noise in those sports than almost any other
0: okay let's leave the the elo conversation there but i want to ask nate every time i see your office door close i think of this tom wait song called what's he building in there <laughs> in which tom waits says, what's he building in there and i wonder what model is nate building in there what what's what what are you working on right now they're really excited about
2: so we have something called carmelo like picota back in the day it has some tortured algorithm it's like career arc we're trying to actually gain listeners maybe i shouldn't <laughs> spell out the entire <laughs> algorithm. acronym yeah but basically it's if you know picota for baseball this is a kind of picota like thing for basketball where it takes a player Um, you know, maybe it looks at Steph Curry and says, you know what, through this point in his career, Steph Curry looks similar to Michael Jordan, but also to Terrell Brandon and stuff like that. And so it builds probabilistic forecasts based on NBA history.
0: Okay. And so you'd be able to say then that Carmelo Anthony himself is most likely to be
2: who it's really down on the neck, ironically, despite being named Carmelo. It's like, yeah, these guys drew all the short straws this year. So yeah, so you can turn it into team projections, but also you can look seven years into the into the future. So Andrew Wiggins, a guy that um, was much debated here, I think, at Hot Take Down mm-hmm. or at five thirty eight in general, you see, hey, you look seven years out, um, and just Playing in the NBA at 19 and being competent is mm-hmm. a pretty good sign. So he actually gets down the road a pretty good prediction. effect. Andrew Wiggins, I think, number one comparable is Carmelo Anthony. So, yeah. so, this
0: is going to be called Wiggins in, in a decade.
2: Wiggins in a decade. Yeah.
0: Okay, Nate, let's leave it there. Carmelo will be coming soon to 538.com.' All you know, chart gods willing, um, and
2: Allison willing. And let's Allison
0: do willing. Yeah, she'll be, credit where it's due. Ask her that for the sig dig. Um, all right, Nate, thanks for coming on to Half Takedown. Thanks, Chad. All right, with Nate out of the way. Let's bring in Allison McCann, who brings us their significant digit every week. Hi, Allison. Hey, Chad. All right. Allison, it's just the two of us, Neil and Kate, off on vacation or in L.A. So what do you have for me for the significant digit?
1: This week, I'm calling it the five by five. The digit is okay. just five. Okay. <laughs> but Five um, twice over. Five twice over. Um, on Sunday, the U.S. Women's National Team played Haiti in... Uh, their victory tour, and Carly Lloyd uh, became the fifth American to score five international hat tricks. Hmm. Uh, she had two consecutive ones against Haiti in their past two games. Uh, and another hat trick you might remember was in a World Cup final. Yeah, I saw that one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so she's just on fire and insane. And granted, these have not been very challenging games, but uh, it's pretty remarkable. to Has that
0: continued into your club play as well?
1: Yeah, so her club team unfortunately didn't make the playoffs probably because she missed the majority of it. <laughs> but yeah, she was scoring a ton of goals when she returned and just seems to have not stopped since the World Cup.
0: So Carly Lloyd is one of five Americans who scored five hat-tricks. Who are the other four?
1: They're all women. Oh, okay, uh, I believe it's Cindy Parlow and Mia Hamm and I forget the other two. But uh, yes, all all American women. So uh, the, the men need to, to pick up on the hat trick game that's for sure
0: right it speaks to the dearth of strikers on the men's side and the greatness of strikers on the women's side absolutely all right allison thanks for coming in with that significant
1: digit thanks for having me
0: that'll do it for this week's show thanks to nate silver for uh guest paneling our video producer is ryan Antel we get production assistance from jordan shulkin our intern is sarah patterson you can email us at podcasts at 538.com we'd love to hear what you think Find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Downcast, all sorts of other apps. We're also on iTunes. You can subscribe at iTunes.com slash 538. Be sure to review and rate the show while you're there. It helps others find the program. Our theme song is by Mystery Mansion. I'm Chadwick Matlin. Talk to you next time. Since this Sunday, they go head to head at the Superdome.
1: Touchdown! Coverage begins at noon Eastern on ESPN Radio.